Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm Lisa, your host, and this podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. You've got to hear about this great conference that PR Daily is doing May 11th in New York City. Uh, It's the Media Relations and Measurement Conference, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be hosting a couple of panels. We're going to talk about what's happening, what's landing in the newsroom, what's, you know, what's making it in the the paper, all that cool stuff. So find more information about this great conference May 11th in person, yay, uh, online at PRDaily.com or hit me up at Lisa at FridayReporter.com. Thanks, guys. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. We are coming to the end of a month of conversations with some of the greatest journalists that work at Axios for Axios April. And today is a conversation I am so looking forward to. Settle down, people. You'll be shocked to hear. I'm just super excited to talk to another Jersey girl. Elena Train <laughs> is my guest today. She is the congressional reporter for Axios. She co-authors Axios Sneak Peek. She covers Capitol Hill, Biden administration, elections. I mean, what? Of course, right? It's She's from Jersey, so she's hustling. Elena, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's my pleasure to be here. So, Elena, number 17, you tell me. You were an early, early uh, member of the Axios team before there was even a name for the publication. Talk to me a little bit about how you got your start and how it is those early days were. Tell me everything. I mean, it's so true what everyone says, um, you know, getting to places, especially in DC, it's a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. And that's how I ended up at Axios. Um, You're totally right. It was before they had a name. When I joined, they were still calling it the next great media company. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remembered thinking, you know, I'll do this for a year. I'll figure out, you know, hopefully it does well, but if it doesn't, I'll learn a lot and I'll move on. And here Mm -hmm. I am, um, you know, more than five years into it. And, um, I have to just say, I mean, Mike Allen, Jim Vintahide, they're the founders of Politico and obviously founded Axios. And so I knew there was definitely a semblance of you're not diving into this, you know, the other without any <laughs> knowledge. I mean, these were men that I knew that knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, but it was honestly great. I mean, it was my first real job out of college. I went to George Washington University, graduated in 2016. And I really found it attractive to start somewhere um, on the ground floor and and work with a company to build it up. And one thing that was really interesting to me that obviously didn't ring true, you know, in hindsight, but a lot of my professors um, in the journalism school at GW or um, reporters I met while interning at the various internships I had kind of warned me about the realities of journalism then. You know, a lot of people said news is dying or it's not the same as it was. Local news is a thing of the past. And you know, then Trump happened and blew it up. And um, Mm. I think Axios for sure had a total boost from the Trump coverage, as did every other news outlet. Um, And I really think it just showed news is never dead. It's always changing, but um, there's always a way forward and and a need for it and a desire for it. And it was really fun to be at a company like Axios where we had a clean slate. We didn't have any of the past, you know, reporting on, the Clinton versus Trump race or anything like that, we got to start fresh. And it was really fun to be at a place that had really a small team. Like, yeah, seven, I was number 17. It was a very small team when I joined and we kind of built the company and learned how to fly the plane while still building it. Um, (laughs) 
and it was a really unique opportunity, especially for someone who, like me, was very young to the full-time news world. And um, I, I had a lot of great opportunities by being able to cover things that I don't think I ever would have had the opportunity to do if I was at a much bigger company. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and because because though, as you as you said, the brand while brand new, the the founders were super well known and trusted and 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 sought after already. People were before they even really had had made the choice to move. People knew they were going to do something great and different again. Um, and so cool for you to be there at the very beginning. And in so much of what we've talked about over the course of the last four weeks, five weeks now, um, is that Axios's approach has really, you know, it isn't the old model. It isn't the way news has been. In fact, if anything, I have said that the crystal ball at Axios is clearer than maybe some of the other sort of older, stayed, um, more established publications in that the guys really knew that people were consuming information um, quicker and faster and, and you had to really catch them where they were. And that is really goes to that smart brevity and, and ways that, um, that you guys really cut through with the news that it, I think is really useful to people like myself and, and really everywhere because um, we're distracted and there's so much, you know, that you need to try to communicate in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. No, it's totally right. One thing I remember um, hearing a lot from some of my other colleagues who we started early with was humans now have the attention span of a goldfish, right? And <laughs> every, there's so much competing for our reader's attention. And so, that's, I mean, what Axios means. They chose the name, the founders chose Axios because it in part, um, in Greek, it means worthy and they want to be worthy of our reader's time. Um, and really, you know, I often, even now, I mean, and I don't know if this is just a byproduct I worked at Axios for so long, but I'll read stories and you finally get to the ace paragraph and you're like, that's what I, that's the news. That's what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. This is the thing that's new and interesting. And it's really taught me to, you know, just throw that in our readers' faces. Everyone has so much that's going on. And you can be not not dumb at the content down. That's not the goal. Our, our audience is actually very smart and in the in the loop um, with everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. But um, to do it in a distinct way that doesn't waste their time. And it's um, it's helped me as a writer. I mean, it forces you to clarify the story and forces you to clarify what you think matters. You know, we have the why it matters in bold or other um, different, what we call axioms at Axios, different little phrases that we can use to draw the reader's attention. And it forces us as writers and reporters to, rather than just throw everything in your notebook into a story, it's really to to find and distill the most important parts and tell that in a simplified way. Yeah. And, and no question about it. It's, it's something that you guys do every day. And I think it's really sort of set a new trend much as Politico when they first launched Politico, what feels like now a lifetime ago, um, that was sort of the goal was to how to be, how to be first, how to be breaking, how to always be getting sort of the scoop and the information. Still, that is a a trend and, and, and a model that everyone is using now, but also in a way, um, um, too, now with Axios, in that many, many other publications who've since come after uh, are trying to distill the information in a way that is sharp and smart, makes the reader smarter, and makes them better um, really sort of approaching their day. Something I always ask, Elena, and I am curious for you, because as the co-author of Axios Sneak Peek, you must consume a lot of information long before you even write 
that newsletter. Tell me a little bit about how your process works and how um, how the newsletter comes together for you. It's very different at Axios, and I think our newsletter is different in the sense of we really focused on original reporting and breaking news, and that's something that is a perk of being a reporter at this company. We have a breaking news team that, you know, I feel like while well, everyone's maybe running around and covering the boats on the hill or um, the latest shiny object, we're able to really focus on, okay, what are people not paying attention to? And what's a story that no one knows yet? Mm-hmm. What, and it really is the focus of our newsletter is you want to read Axios Sneak Peek and know that you're going to read something that you've never seen anywhere else and you can't read anywhere else. Um, and our our saying is, you know, it's the best scoops from both pen- ends of Pencil Avenue. And that's really what we try to do. So in my process, I you know, I spent a lot of my days, like today, for example, just having meetings with people on the Hill, um, with different members, you know, going after member calls, like you see a lot of other reporters, but mm-hmm. rather than, you know, there's a big event that's happening um, where everyone might be asking m- members the same questions. I try to focus in on something that's a little bit different um, and a story, maybe, you know, whether it be you know, I know you had this meeting with so-and-so. What happened in that meeting behind closed doors? Can you shed light on this? Or what, um, you know, what's a trend that people are picking up on that no one else is really, you know, maybe members and, and their aides are talking about, but people in the media, you know, haven't caught on to it yet. Anything like that is really where I try to focus my energy. And it's fun. I mean, it really, I, I as a reporter, obviously you want to you love having conversations with people. I, I spend a lot of my days um, just interacting and forging relationships or, or building off the relationships I already have with people in power and in leadership and on the Hill. And then um, turning that into something that, again, a story that you're not going to get anywhere else that other people haven't read. And it shows. I mean, it shows in your reporting every single day. How is it, how do you break up your time? Because you do, you cover Capitol Hill, you're focused on the administration. How do you break up your time in terms of, of coverage? Are you looking at the, uh, the Biden administration through the lens of Capitol Hill? How does that, um, how does that look for you in terms of your beat? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. I, I, so I spend every day up on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. and I look at the administration through the lens of of Congress and um, breaking up its heart. I mean, th- this is one thing, there are pros and cons to it, but Axios has a fairly small political team for a very long time. I was the only Hill reporter at Axios and covering the House and Senate. And I still do cover the House and Senate. And people are like, well, what's your beat? And I'm like, it's all of Congress and it's not just focused to foreign policy. It's not just focused to healthcare or, um, you know, the economy. It's kind of everything and, and what's driving the news that week. Um, and a lot of it is also on leadership. I think Act has a very strong focus on the power dynamics on Capitol Hill and mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the flow of power, which is always changing and evolving and, and being, you know, the fly on the wall for a lot of those conversations. And I really break up my time. It's a great question. It's when it comes to actual coverage areas, it really depends. I mean, obviously, I'm spending a lot of time right now on foreign policy stuff and trying to get to know a lot of the people on the foreign policy committees up here because of the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know, the after effects it has on, on China and, you know, potential conflict with Taiwan. Um, and of course, you know, it really it depends. I mean, we do also want to be able to tell stories the thing that we think people are craving and know the most. So, sure. or craving the most. So, I mean, obviously inflation in the economy is a huge one and the midterms will, they are ramping up, but will soon be the most dominant um, conversation. And it's really, again, while a lot of people are covering those kind of stories, it's we try to find a unique angle to them and, and try to really tell people, you know, something that they both need to know, but wouldn't have known if we didn't write it. And so I really spent my time um, focusing on that. What do people care about right now? What's something that's really big that's happening on the Hill or in the administration? And how can we chip away a little um, piece of it and tell people, you know, something that might have happened in secret or private conversations or things that can maybe help um, our reporting can maybe help clarify on a broader level, all of those things. I'm having to give examples, but yeah. there's so many of them these days. Um, <laughs> no, and there's never, it, a, it, never it really, a slow news day. <laughs> That's for sure. There's not, there's really not. Um, and, but it's great. I mean, it's one of those jobs where you really, every day is different and mm -hmm. you're not just sitting at a desk all day. You're out there talking with people and, and it's always something new, which is really refreshing. And I find very exciting. Is there a particular story that stands out in your mind, one that maybe you're especially proud of, one that you were especially pleased uh, came together the way it did? I mean, tell me a little bit about, like, is there something that as you're looking back over the course of the last six months, a year, because um, we did say it's never a slow news day up there on Capitol Hill. Is there something that stands out to you as one that you're especially proud of? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'll try to give a more recent one since I know, I, I mean, there's one I normally used to go to when I was covering the Trump administration and the Trump White House, but that's a little bit farther away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think one that I I found, like the January 6th committee um, yeah. news right now is definitely something that obviously the entire country is captivated by, but mm -hmm. reporters are also very much you know, trying to get our piece of it. And um, I, we did a story, my colleague and I, on the White House call logs. I know that the Bob Woodward and, and Bob Costa at um, the Washington Post, obviously, fabulous supporters, mm -hmm. um, unmatched reporters, broke the news that there was this gap in the call logs. And, and my colleague and I, who used to cover, Jonathan Swan and I, used to cover the Trump White House together and learned that um, Trump's aide, the one who sits outside his office all the time, um, wasn't there that day. And she's one who always keeps notes um, scribbled down on every call that he's taken, every meeting that the president was having. Mm -hmm. He was the one, she's the one that when the president would call out and be like, hey, get me X person on the phone. Um, and she wasn't there on the six for personal reasons. Interesting. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it really speaks. And I've, I've had conversations with people on the committee who said that stories helped clarify a lot and they didn't even know about it. And, and that those are moments when you're just like, wow. Um, and I was there on January 6th. Mm -hmm. I was here in the Capitol when um, the rioters, you know, stormed into the building. And so to even be able to, I feel like, have a little piece of helping that story and investigation further along, it helps put all the, you know, it's a really important piece of the puzzle, I think, mm -hmm. because I also know that the committee is super focused on 
what the former president was doing in that, they always say the 187 minutes, but the time in which the rioters stormed the Capitol and eventually called them to go home. Like they're very hyper-focused on what was happening during those seven hours. And um, yeah, and so this was just our little contribution to that. So, and that was, I mean, that alone, I mean, there's so many things about that time. Um, and I, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you in a second to tell me just a little bit about where you were that day. Mm-hmm. I've had some, some really uh, remarkable conversations with your colleagues up there, Paul Kane, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many that I have really sort of asked for sort of a glimpse of what that day looked like for them. But before I get there, I think also too, you guys covered the fact that so much of the way the story is unfolding about the committee itself and the investigation as it's happening, little nuggets are getting out even before there's time for the the testimony and there's time for that information. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a constant, you know, food fight, if you will, just of, of things that are coming out and people that are, we're, things that we're learning. Um, but before we get there, tell me, if you don't mind, where were mm-hmm. you that day and how how was that, I mean... I worked in the building. That I mean, I, yeah, it's just, it's very personal for so many of us. But for those of you who were there that day, I just, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, so I was in the Senate. I was in the Senate chamber, actually, when it officially, when they officially locked the doors. I, mm-hmm. I was in there um, watching the senators count the votes and, um, I remember, I mean, even before then, I don't go into the whole story because you'll be here all day, but <laughs> I was actually in, um, I, I was about to do a television hit in one of the house office buildings mm-hmm. um, when then President Trump was speaking. And I remember listening to the speech right before I was about to go on and him saying, you know, march to the Capitol. Um, and I, I'm not using his exact words, but when he, he basically told everyone at the rally to go down to the Capitol and to protest. And mm-hmm. um, I remember being like, wow. And then seconds later, I'm about to go on and an officer came in and said, clear the building and everyone's got to get out. We're evacuating. And I remember thinking, what? And no one knew in the moment. I mean, I was, I almost found it annoying. I was yeah. like, really? I'm not I'm like, come on. Like we thought, I don't know. You always hear stuff about suspicious packages. Of course. <laughs> so I ran um, for my, anyway, I ran I was, for my life a dozen times when I worked in the Capitol because right. there was an errant airplane headed towards the you know, you name it. So, oh, but, yeah, but because exactly. you have, so yeah. Seriously. Um, and so anyways, um, not maybe in hindsight, not as smart on my end, but I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go into the Senate now and see what's going on there. Yeah. And so, and my desk is in the Senate. And so I came um, and I was watching this as it unfolded. And that's when we heard, we had a couple announcements overhead from, um, I don't know if it was press gallery staff or an overhead and a general capital announcement but we were basically told that if if the rioters got any closer to the doors that they might shut down the capital again not a lot of people think we were starting to get worried then but not thinking oh i mean that's not gonna happen we're not gonna breach the capital and then that's exactly what happened we were in i was in the chamber with the senators and they locked the doors and put everyone on lockdown and even then there was a level of like, okay, well, what's going on? And I, it is funny, you know, in hindsight, you look back on, I look back on that moment and really in the moment we didn't, I wasn't as scared as I think a lot of people. And granted I was on the Senate side. I think the house side was a lot scarier. I have my mm. colleagues on the house. I can't commend them enough for what they went through and, and how they 
held themselves together and reported sure. in, in spite of everything. The, the Senate side, we were a little bit luckier because we could hear the protesters and we could hear that there were people, but it wasn't, um, we were evacuated fairly quickly. And, and um, you know, everyone talks about Officer Eugene Goodman. He led a lot of the protesters away from the Senate chamber. And yes. so we lucked out there as well. And I, I do think it was just a lot of confusion and chaos. I was in the chamber and then they evacuated the senators out and told the reporters who were kind of watching over in the balcony area um, to, to go down to the basement. Yeah. And they would guide us to an undisclosed location. And so we're taking elevators down. And I mean, I just remember thinking like, what if somebody just hits the elevator button and it opens up onto the first floor? I mean, luckily that didn't happen, but it wasn't some grand organized scheme. Um, And then we got to the basement in the Senate and everyone's just sprinting through the subway tunnels. I mean, I'm running next to senators. I remember Ron Johnson's on my left. Like (laughs) it was in the middle of COVID. That was, you know, no one could, we were packing in there, you know, um, yeah. as tight as we could and running through and it was all, all chaos. And then finally they took us to a location. Um, it wasn't in the main Capitol building, but in a side building. And, um, that's really when I think everyone started to learn just how bad it was. And we saw the photos of, of protesters repelling down in the chamber sitting, you know, where the president, um, would sit and, um, also learning what was going on in the house side. And that's really when it was like, oh my goodness, we came very close to potentially something really catastrophic. It it became really, really real. But the one thing that I think that people maybe don't realize, and I've talked about it on some of the previous episodes, is that, okay, you were there January 6th, and then you went back the next day and the day after Mm -hmm. and the day after that and continued and continued to do exactly and continued to do your job. You are not a war correspondent. You are not in a place where you would imagine that you would be running uh, from for, for fear of being harmed in some way or another. I mean, this is just it is it's unexplainable. But to people like myself who did work in the building, I I just I still can't even well, number one, I can't thank you enough for being there and for continuing to report and do the work you did. I'm not the only person that knows how extraordinary you are in the early years of your career. Um, and I'm going to quick make a transition to another conversation that I want to have. Um, but but just just know that it's not lost on people like me who did once work in that building, how you didn't miss a beat. You and your colleagues went back and you reported, and you did the work, and you made deadline, and you broke stories and broke news after having gone through all of that. And that is just, it's remarkable. I mean, it's a service that people don't realize that you do, that is just, it's so incredibly appreciated. But, oh, thank you. That's so kind. Well, but on that note, because you are a superstar, and you are doing this great work, I want to talk for a minute about Forbes 30 under 30. That must have come as a great, I mean, compliment to you, but tell me a little bit about how that happened. Uh, Definitely a compliment. I was very flattered to even be considered. Um, But yeah, so Axios, we have an internal um, communications team and they basically flagged, you know, we, we would really love to submit you and to submit an application for you mm. for Forbes 30 under 30. That's how the process works. Yeah. I think that they, um, you know, people get nominated or some sort. So they kind of put, I, I sent in some 
they asked me some questions at Axios. I gave them my answers and then they sent it in. And sure. months later, weeks later, um, I learned that I was selected, which was, uh, again, a huge honor. I mean, especially, it's funny, I know you're a Jersey girl as well. My family, I actually, I didn't grow up in a very politics-focused family. I actually never knew I wanted to go into politics until I went to school here. (laughs) And, I mean, my family, they were watching more of, like, my mom loved the entertainment news at night. We weren't watching, you know, heavy-hitting stuff. And something like, you know, Forbes 30 and the 30, was something that I, to me also was really special because it was something that I knew that my family was really proud of and something that they recognized. Like they don't always follow the day-to-day and the minutia of, of right. the news world, but to be recognized on a list like that, you know, you grow up hearing about and you're like, oh yeah, that, that'll never be me. But um, it was such an honor. And um, especially looking, I mean, there's so many people who are selected to, not just in the news world, but in, you know, obviously other industries who who are named to that list and it's it was so humbling to just be um named alongside so many people i admire and so uh yeah i think it it was um i was it was a very happy surprise i should say well and but but as much as there is an application process there is an application process you go up against these humans that are doing remarkable things and you know that that to even be selected is just amazing, but even to be considered is just an honor. So I'm thrilled for you. And that's a fun, it is a fun thing because it is something that, that even those who aren't paying attention to politics, they know that's a really big deal. And so congratulations to you. No, thank you so much. So when you're not in the Capitol and breaking news and, you know, doing all the cool things you do for your day job. Um, Tell me a little bit, like what keeps you busy on the weekends? Like what's, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're in this like happy zone where we're not really wearing masks and we're kind of out of, I mean, I feel like we're always sort of one foot in one foot out, but, um, but what's keeping you busy? Like, you know, are you, are you getting ready to travel? What's tell me a little bit about what Elena's got sort of in, you know, beyond the, the work day on the fringes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, I mean, speaking of travel, this is a huge perk of Axios. Um, they offer a sabbatical program. Awesome. And so I actually recently, um, the program is, if you've been there for five years, you can take six weeks. Again, the company just hit five years. And so I was one of the first people doing, I remember, uh, the founders being like, wait, people are actually going to take that. Awesome. Um, but I, I just got back actually from a six week trip around South America, which wow. was incredible. I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of my free time prior to it planning it. Um, I bet. But that was incredible. And just being able to, especially, you know, to do it after so much time of not traveling, um, being able to see different parts of the world and doing it at a time in my life when I don't have a family or children, I can really, I could have just, I just pick up and go, um, was incredible. And I do love traveling. So it was a welcome thing to, to get back into. Um, but on weekends, I mean, I have a lot of friends here in DC and I love, I try to spend a lot of time outdoors. Mm-hmm. So I love to go hiking. I'm a big reader and, and nerd. I mean, all of us reporters, I feel like we do that. Except I'm someone who I don't love. I feel like I'm a bad reporter sometimes because I don't read all the reporter books that I'm not supposed to. <laughs> I'm just like, if I'm going to read, I'm going to do it for pleasure. All right. What have you, read. so make a recommendation because I, I keep threatening. Uh, this is like probably the sixth or eighth episode where I've threatened that I'm going to start a Friday reporter like what to read list but what can you think of one recent that's sort of standing out that you enjoyed um definitely i read um 
the Alice Network recently. I'm a big historical oh, fiction. Oh, that's fan. a good book. I read um, that too. Such a good book. Um, and I also loved it because I feel like most historical fiction you read about World War II, and this was about World War One. Yeah. Just different. Yeah. Um, so I loved that. I'm reading a book now. It's a lot of people have read it and recommended it, but I think it's kind of depressing. It's, it's definitely more of a depressing read. So I don't know if <laughs> this is great Friday chat, but it's called A Little Life. And it's beautifully written and a beautiful story about these four men and the kind of a coming of age for them. And they go through different things. I'm in the, in the midst of it now and I'm really enjoying it. So, awesome. um, yeah. Some are happy, some are sad, but it's definitely an escape <laughs> from having to read the news or whatever um biography or yeah. client <laughs> client proposals on my side of the world i mean you know whatever it is but it is a nice break to get a good book so i'm going to put that on my list elena we're coming to the end of 30 minutes and girl we could talk all day long about pizza and favorite bagel shops and but nobody uh, but you and i need to do that because everybody knows that new jersey well i don't care if they don't think it has the best of all of those yes <laughs> but i, I, I will I will die on that bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stand right next to you, my friend. Um, tell me before I let you go back to, to reporting on the day, um, is there someone in the journalism space that you would recommend for a future episode? Uh, yes, there's many. Um, but one that's just coming to mind is, um, I don't know if you've ever interviewed Ali Vitale, um, but she works at NBC. She just became a health correspondent, but I feel like she just has an incredible story to tell because she has been on the trail so much. She's, you know, she called herself a trail warrior. I know a lot mm -hmm. of the trail people do and has been to so many different parts of the country and I think would have a wonderful perspective. Awesome. Um, very different. Yeah, I hope you can connect. I will. I will. I will tell her you nominated her. And I am just I'm thrilled that we had a chance to chat today. Thank you so, so much. Uh, at some point, at some time very soon, we will have to have more of a conversation about the Jersey Shore and all those good things. But Elena, thank you. Thank you so much for being part of this project that uh, has been such a fun. Axios, obviously, is is got some really tremendous reporters. And I'm just so grateful for your time uh, to talk about your experience. Oh, well, thank you. It's honestly been my pleasure. So enjoy the rest of your day. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.